0: Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, to grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message Are you ready to study the scriptures? Yes or no? Good, me too. It's really good to be back with you. Um, today, what we're doing is we're starting. This new series, and it's called uh, How to Pray. And prayer is something that kind of seems so small and intimate, you know, it seems kind of personal to us. And so some of you might say, Is this really the first message that we're gonna jump into in the start of a new decade? Like, is prayer really the thing? Shouldn't we be talking, Brain, about something a little more grand? I mean, if we're if we're honest, isn't prayer just a little mundane? Isn't it a little bit boring? What if I told you that prayer is the very foundation of us small, mortal human beings actually connecting with the God of the universe? What if I told you that there's nothing more grand or global or universal than prayer? Think about this. On Mount Athos, 2,000 meters above the Aegean Sea, today there are big-bearded Orthodox monks and they're praying just like they've been praying for the past 1,800 years. About 11 miles north of Lagos, more than a million Nigerian Christians are gathering for a monthly prayer meeting at the vast campus of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. Can you believe that? Look at that. I want to go. On the banks of the River Ganges, there are Hindu pilgrims that are plunging into the sacred waters seeking cleansing and hope. And somewhere in Manhattan today, there's a group of addicts in a 12-step program getting together and they're seeking through prayer and meditation to improve their conscious contact with God. High in the Himalayas, there are bells chiming and strings of colored prayer flags are dancing against sapphire skies. Deep in the forests of giant redwood and Douglas fir on California's lost coast, Cistercian nuns are keeping vigil beside the Matol River where salmon and steelhead swim. Now one person in every four prays the Lord's prayer each year on Easter Sunday alone. One person in every four. One person in every six bows toward Mecca up to five times a day. At the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, there are Hasidic Jews dressed in black rocking to and fro in fervent prayer. Kind of looking like, Aging goths at a silent disco. (laughs) I've been there, actually, and it's a beautiful thing to see and to participate in. In front of them, between the giant stones of Herod's temple, there are thousands of handwritten prayers that are wedged into tiny cracks rolled up like cigarettes between the bricks. Some would say, prayer's kind of a small subject to start the new decade, Brent, don't you think? But I say, There's no better place that we should start to jump into 2020. There's a rabbi named Abraham Herschel, and he said, prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. (laughs) I don't know what that means exactly. He's saying, oh, I'm alive. Oh, dear God, I need help. I think is how I interpret that. Canadian psychologist David G. Benner, he describes prayer as the soul's native language. He observes that our natural posture, humanity's natural posture, is attentive openness to the divine. We see this posture in many of the great men and women of history that maybe aren't necessarily known for their religious devotion. People like Abraham Lincoln who said, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom seemed insufficient for that day. Can you relate to that? I know I can. Conrad Hilton, Hilton, who you may recognize from the famous hotel chain, in his autobiography, he devotes the whole last section to prayer, and he says, In the circle of successful living, prayer is the hub that holds the wheel together. Dave Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters, some of you know who that is, some of you have no idea what the words are that I just said. (laughs) Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters he admits to praying desperately when their drummer, Taylor Hawkins, when he, uh, he, he overdosed at a festival. And he said, I would talk to God out loud as I was walking. I am not a religious person, but I was out of my mind. I was so frightened and heartbroken and confused. The point that I'm trying to make through all of this this morning is, is that to be human is to pray. All over the world, to be human is to pray. From people of faith around the world, to American presidents, to rock stars going through a really hard day, prayer is the thing that almost everybody is drawn to. It's just a natural posture of our souls. And at the same time, it's this mystery that for so many of us, it seems so hard to unlock. There's a Sunday school teacher, and he asked his kids in the class if they knew how to pray. And little Tommy, in the front row, he raised his hand, and he said, Oh, yeah, that's easy. You just say, Dear God, and then you chat with him a bit, and then you say, Amen. Amen. And some of us would hear that and go, Tommy, (laughs) Tommy, 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 little tiny Tommy, so ignorant and foolish, because we think that it has to be so much more, and it doesn't. Actually, in a way, I, I think that Tommy was exactly right, and I think often we make prayer way more complicated than it needs to be, and it's for that reason that we bail out on it. And we say, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. It's too hard. So today we're embarking on this journey into a new year together, not just with a week of prayer that we call around here, Seek First, but we're starting this new series that hopefully I'm praying, I'm praying will renew and reinvigorate your life and relationship with God. So we're calling this series, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Or if you've seen those uh, those famous books uh, that I, I like, uh, how they, you might call it this, uh, Prayer for Idiots. You could call it that. It's Prayer for Idiots. It's Prayer for normal, simple people like me and probably like you. So over the next several weeks, what I'm going to try to do is demystify this whole thing of prayer and help us, give us a simple guide for us normal people. So today, if you don't consider yourself someone who's a prayer. And you say, prayer's hard for you. I'm not a studied theologian. I don't know how to do this. I am not a Jedi prayer warrior. I'm barely even a Padawan. Again, some of you are like, what did he just say? Don't worry about it. You don't know how to pray. This series, this is for you. If you want to grow, if you want a deeper relationship with God, This series over the next several weeks is going to be for you. But the reality is, is for most of us, we probably, most of us just pray in the case of emergency. Like when you're driving down 35 and you're looking at something for a podcast or you're texting, stop doing that. And you're driving down and you look up and there's cars stopped in front of you as they always are. And you slam on the brakes. Oh dear God, help. You need the most direct line of communication, and that is what most of our prayer lives probably look like most days. I just, I just run to him. I just go when something's gone wrong, and I got to scream out, dear God, help. But I just want you to know there's so much more to prayer than that. There's so much more that's available for you. There are ways of praying that are much more like exploring much more like developing relationship and intimacy than just imploring and asking God for stuff. So as we start this series, I just wanna give you a warning. I wanna warn you that if you're searching for the holy grail, or you're looking for the right magic words, or if you're gonna, are you gonna teach me the right formula so that I will know how to connect with God and now it will be easy, that's not how prayer works. But as you set out on this vital journey for your life, God will, if you'll invite him, he'll join you in the middle of it. Because even though the landscape of prayer, it might not be too familiar for you, Jesus himself did give us a map. He gave us a map that we could use to help guide us through this, and it's called the Lord's Prayer. Actually, I think we have the Lord's Prayer here, and so I want, you, I want to invite you, if you would, would you say it with me? Would you just say it out loud with me, Tulu? Do we have it? Here we go. Say this with me. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He gives us this incredible map that we're gonna use over the next several weeks to help us on this journey. So this is pretty incredible because it's a, it's a worldwide Centuries old memorized prayer that's been given us. And it's this pattern, it's so simple that children can memorize and say it, but so profound that theologians continue to mine it for its deep theological meaning and resonance. So our journey through the Lord's Prayer is going to be based on kind of these simple four step rhythms. That I want to give you today and it's it's this rhythm that I'm about to tell you that I want to encourage you to try to begin to add in to your prayer life because this is the rhythm that you see as you walk through the Lord's Prayer and here they are you can write them down if you're taking notes pause rejoice ask and yield if you notice that's a beautiful acronym and it says pray p-r-a-y pause rejoice ask yield now I gotta be honest with you I'm not a big fan of acronyms I think acronyms, I'm sorry, they're just a bit cheesy. I don't care for them. I I grew up as a youth pastor in in the 80s and 90s, and acronyms were the way to do youth group. In fact, our student ministry, TAG, right here at One Chapel, it began as an acronym, TAG, T-A-G. And people always come up to me, what what does TAG mean? And And depending on how snarky I'm feeling at that time, I might respond with, oh yeah, that means totally awesome God. Or I might say, or they'll come to me and say, so what does TAG stand for? Is it teens after God? And I'll say, no, because that would be lame. <laughs> I like the idea, but I think the acronym is lame. Um, actually, it's Matthew ten eight, in case you're curious. Matthew ten eight that said, freely we have received, so freely we give. So early on in its inception, TAG stood for take and give. Take what God has given and freely give it away to other people. Isn't that good, everybody? But don't use it as an acronym because we don't like it um when i was when i was working in colorado as a pastor there was an organization we had a world prayer center there on our campus and there was an organization called the national association of local church prayer leaders and yes they used it as an acronym because they didn't want to say it all the time the acronym for that is (laughs) nalcapul nalcapul hey you going to the nalcapul meeting no because that's stupid (laughs) i got off track i apologize but this acronym is really important for us in our prayer life. And I want to just kind of drop it to you really quick so you can use it as you're going into prayer this week. The first thing is pause. Pause. Jesus said, when you pray. He said, when you pray. So every time you come to prayer, in order to start, you have to stop. In order to move forward, you have to pause. And I'm just telling you, this right here is the first step towards a deeper prayer life. If you're struggling a little bit, this is your first step. Start by Putting your wish list down. Stop by putting everything else by the wayside and just wait. Be quiet, be still, and know that He is God. Become fully present in the place and time that you're in. Let your scattered senses, because all of us have scattered senses, let them recenter on God. Let sti- stillness and silence begin to prepare your mind and prime your heart. So that you can pray out of those things. And I promise you'll find more peace and faith and adoration after that. The first thing we do is pause. The second thing is rejoice. Jesus taught us, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Nobody, when looking at the northern lights, looks up and goes, wow, I am incredible. (laughs) Nobody says that. Nobody thinks that. If they do, they've got significant problems. Some kind of sociopath, there's problems there. None of us do that. We look up and go, wow, that is incredible. We are all hardwired to wonder and therefore to worship. And so they look up at that and go, wow, that's beautiful. It's just incredible. It's something that's so big and far beyond me. At the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, there is this invitation to adoration. Hallowed be your name. The most natural and appropriate response to God's presence in our lives is reverence. It's worship. So, hey, listen, try not to skip this part. Try not to just breeze past and and walk through this because hallowing the Father's name is the most important and, frankly, the most enjoyable part of any prayer time. So just hang out here for a while. Rejoice in God's blessing before you start asking for any more. So we pause, we rejoice, and then we ask. After he's done those things, Jesus teaches us, say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and give us today our daily bread. So prayer means a lot of things to a lot of people, but at its simplest and most immediate, it means simply asking God for help. Everything from your daily bread, what you need right now to survive this day that you're coming into, to God's kingdom coming into the earth. And so we pray. We pray for ourselves. You petition him. We pray for others in intercession. We pray, we ask, we pause, we rejoice, we ask, and then we yield. Jesus taught us, forgive, uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so as he's teaching us this outline, the final step in prayer is surrender. Think of it like a clenched fist that most of us have often in our lives that begins to slowly open in surrender to God and his will and his kingdom and his plan for you and for your life we yield to God's presence on the earth as it is in heaven and we yield through to his holiness through confession through reconciliation and we yield to his power in spiritual warfare lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evils so we ask that and i think this is what jesus was teaching when the disciples asked him god teach us to pray lord teach us How to pray. I think that Jesus taught this outline because he was removing the religious overtones of the pompous and the spiritual elite. And he was working to make prayer simple, kind of natural, kind of easy, just like breathing. Because just like those first disciples, there will be days, everybody, when you're going to wake up and think, is this really all there is? Is this really all there is to knowing the God, the creator of everything? And when you read through the book of Acts and you ask, Why doesn't it happen like this anymore? There'll be days when your world falls apart and you desperately need a miracle. There'll be days where you say to yourself, if this thing is true, there's just got to be more power. There's got to be more mystery. There's got to be more to this thing than what I'm experiencing today. And just like those first disciples, you finally turn to God and you say, God, would you just teach me how to pray? I don't know how. And he replies, man, I thought you'd never ask. So I don't want you to feel overwhelmed as we go on this journey and I don't want you to feel like you got to memorize this acronym and you got to sit there every morning and oh I got to pause, I got to rejoice, I got to ask, I got to yield. So I don't I don't want you to feel like that. I don't want you to be burdened and I don't want you to feel like this is overly simplified. But I do want to leave you today before we go with just three very significant keys for the practice of prayer that I think will be helpful for you. Because the best advice that I've ever read or received on prayer is this. And it actually comes from the book that we're using for this entire series called How to Pray a Simple Guide for Normal People by Pete Grieg, which Rob was really doing his best to say in that video. And and here's what Pete has to say in this book He says, If you want to have an incredible prayer life, some of the best advice I've ever had is keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Keep it simple. Keep it real and keep it up. I just want to walk through these really quickly with you. The first, he says, is keep it simple. Because actually what we do is we make the most natural thing in the world just talking to God. We make it complicated and weird and intense. I find that we do that with a lot of things. Jesus specifically warns us against getting overcomplicated in prayer. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 in the message version. It says, this is what we've already read in the Lord's Prayer. It says, the world is, so, is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father that you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. Everybody say simple. Everybody do a better job at saying simple. Simple. Wow, thank you very much. You're here. Okay. (laughs) Like (laughs) that. Happy New Year to you, Pastor Brent. (laughs) Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best, as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. The Lord's Prayer actually, in the original language, it was just 31 words long. It was this short little prayer. And actually, originally, it rhymed. So Jesus wrote poetry. That's pretty awesome. And it's this simple little prayer. Jesus advocates simplicity in prayer and then models it for all of us. This 30 second prayer that we can recite from 30 seconds to actually expanding it like an outline and using it for all of your prayer life. Essentially, it's just a tweet, this prayer. Archbishop Justin Welty says the Lord's Prayer is simple enough to be memorized by small children yet profound enough to sustain a whole lifetime of prayer. I've been actually using it as a guide for the past year or two for most of my prayer times and this is absolutely true. And actually there are very few rules for Christians when it comes to prayer. So yes, actually if you're wondering, you can pray in the shower. You can. You can pray while you're driving. Unless you get easily distracted, and if you've got a charismatic background, you're like, oh Lord, you take your hands off the wheel—you're gonna crash. Don't pray while you're driving. I don't recommend that. Looking at you, David Campos. <laughs> yeah. But am, <yeah. laughs> um, but I—wow, <laughs> <laughs> <Three. laughs> I, I felt the charismatics in the room. <laughs> oh, is it happening? It's happening. hankies are coming out oh man we don't got no chandeliers thankfully (laughs) Uh, if you're new welcome you can pray in the shower you can pray while driving you don't have to close your eyes you don't have to bow your heads some of your grandparents would be appalled at this but you don't have to do that there's no particular posture that you have to take You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to, thankfully, ritually wash anymore. You don't have to do those things. You don't have to use a fixed form of words so that God's going to hear you. Listen, because of Jesus, you have direct access to God anytime, anywhere. And that's for everybody. So God invites you very simply, very directly, and truthfully in the full, wonderful weirdness of the way that he's made you to pray. So that means go take a walk out in the rain and pray. That means uh, write prayers on the soles of your shoes and walk around. That means sing the blues and pray. That means, if you're so inclined, rap and pray. Just do it. I don't necessarily probably want to hear it, but you can do it. Maybe do it in the quietness of your own room, whatever. Write poetry, if that's what you Sit in silence on the lake. Just do something that God has invited you into. Go for a run until you sense God's smile Throw yourself down a water slide and yell, Hallelujah, all the way down if that's your thing. Just find a way in the wonderful weirdness that God has made you to pray simply to Him. But then He also teaches you to just don't, don't overcomplicate it. You don't have to worry about so much empty religious verbiage. Don't worry in thinking that you've got to have a theology degree to understand prayer. You don't have to have it. There's that Native American pastor, Richard Twist. He says, I pray all the time. My prayers are not only talking to God, they're questions, they're dialogue. They're the burning of sage and incense. When I'm dancing in the powwow, every step is a prayer. I dance my prayers for the people. Sometimes I imagine my prayers. I fantasize my prayers. They're not always audible. Look, everybody, at the beginning of this year, I just want to encourage you. Would you just keep it simple? God is inviting you to keep prayer simple. Number two, keep it simple, but also keep it real. It's interesting to me that in our culture, we have this high value for keeping it real. There's high value for authenticity. Meanwhile, we're following all these influencers on Instagram who their entire lives is curated and edited and photoshopped, very real-like. And the same with us. We broadcast our very best moments, and we use a filter, and we take a million selfies before we actually post the one. But we do crave this reality, even though we don't always act like it. Trappist monk Thomas Merton said, God is far too real. He's far too real to be met anywhere other than in reality, right where you are. And if we're honest, many of us don't feel like we can really be honest with God. We feel like we've got to put on some kind of religious front to be able to approach him. I've got to clean up my act before I get to prayer. There's an author named Anne Lamott, and she wrote this refreshingly irreverent book on prayer, and I like the title. The title of the book is Help, Thanks, Wow, Three Essential Prayers. Help, thanks, wow. Three essential prayers. And actually, if you think about it, that's just about all you need. God, help. God, thank you for this. And God, wow. Three essential prayers. And she's arguing that these three words are all you ever really need. And what she's talking about is this need for radical honesty in prayer. So I think that when you're telling God the truth, you're actually the closest to him. So if you'll say to God, God, I'm exhausted and I'm depressed beyond words. God, I don't like this life that I'm living right now. And actually, I don't know if I like you right now. Some people in the room just went, (gasps) lightning is coming. (laughs) Floor is opening, hell is coming. I don't like you right now. And I don't want to be anywhere near the people who say they believe in you. I think when you talk to God like that, I think that he actually draws near. Because what I've watched people do through the years over and over and over again is they have those feelings, but instead of running to him, they run away from him. And then their life crumbles. When instead, all you've got to do is take those words, take those frustrations, keep it real, take all that stuff and turn to him and run into his arms and tell him about it. I promise he's big enough to handle your frustrations, your worries, your fears, your anger. You're not going to hurt him. The reality is the Bible is way more honest oftentimes than the church is. Because if you look at the Psalms, many of the Psalms are not happy, clappy songs, but they're, they're really cries of unresolved pain. Look at Psalm fifty-five, seventeen: 17. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur and he will hear my voice. Folks, that's a lot of complaining. <laughs> Evening, morning, at noon. I'm just telling you, I am planning on grumbling and complaining. That's what I'm going to do with my life. And we forget how honest these great men and women of the Bible actually were with God. One of the great Bible patriarchs, Jacob, he wrestled with God at night in prayer. And it was so violent that he was injured and wounded and actually never recovered. Moses whined to God about the very people that God called him to lead. I just, it's long, but I wanted you to hear it. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 11 in the message version. And some of you moms, you can relate to this. Moses said to God, why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to you to deserve this? Did I conceive them? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of this people on me? Why tell me to carry them around like a nursing mother? Carry them all the way to the land you promised to their ancestors. Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people who are whining to me, huh? Give us meat. We want meat. I can't do this by myself. Shut up, stupid kids. (laughs) It's, it's, It's too much, all these people. If this is how you intend to treat me, do me a favor and kill me. I've seen enough. I've had enough. Let me out of here. Now, that's a street paraphrase from Eugene Peterson, but the heart and the reality of what Moses is saying is actually that. God was bringing that prayer. As Moses was bringing that prayer to God. He was being that real and that honest. The prophet Jeremiah, he too ranted at God. In Jeremiah 27, oh Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You've overcome me and prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. The remarkable thing about these prayers, these rude, irreverent And self-pitying prayers is not to me that they were recorded in the Bible at the first place. It's that they weren't redacted. (laughs) It's that they weren't taken out of the scriptures. Why? Because God wants you to know, this is how I want you to meet me. I want you to tell me what you're feeling. I want you to be real. C.S. Lewis in his book, Letters to Malcolm, says, What seem our worst prayers may be really, in God's eyes, our best. Those, I mean, which are least supported by devotional feeling, which, by the way, comes and goes. These, perhaps, come from a deeper level than feeling. God sometimes seems to speak to us most intimately when he catches us, as it were, off our guard. Keep it simple. This week, as you're praying, seek first. Keep it real. And the final thing is keep it up. You've got to keep it up. Why? Because life is tough. Because you're in a battle right now, and some of you are in a battle for your very souls. And you've got to keep it up because God's not an algorithm that you can figure out. That's why you've got to keep coming. You've got to keep coming to him. In fact, he told us to in Luke 18.1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. He told them a story to say, always pray and don't give up. But it's so easy, you guys, to lose heart. It's so easy to get discouraged. How many of you have had unresolved or unanswered prayers? And you just feel like I don't want to go anymore. And that's why Jesus is saying, you've got to always pray. Don't give up. Frank Laubach, he's an early 20th century missionary and educationalist, he compared praying to throwing rocks in a swamp. Here's what he said: Each rock, as you throw, it sinks without a trace. The exercise seems pointless, but keep going. Keep going long enough. Keep throwing those rocks, and the swamp will eventually get filled. One day a rock will be thrown. And it won't sink. Solid ground will begin to appear. And so you might pray about something that you've prayed a hundred times before, but then suddenly the breakthrough happens. The miracle occurs. And it's not that you finally found the right formula. I finally found the right prayer posture. I finally did the right thing and God responded. No, the issue is you just didn't give up. There's a pastor in in, uh, New York City named John Tyson. And I think he sums all these three ideas up so beautifully. And he says, when you come to pray, here's how you do it. If you can't remember those three simple points, here's what I want you to remember. Pray what you got. Just pray what you've got. I only have one word. I don't know how to pray. All I know how to say is, God help me. That's enough. I all have is frustration. I'm mad at God. That's fine. Pray what you've got. But I grew up charismatic, and all I got is "Hey, oh, the say the law." That's how I grew up, and I don't know. I feel weird about it now. It feels weird to me. That's fine. Pray what you've got. Right. Just come to Him with what you have and pray what you've got, Brent. I can only last about a minute and a half when I pray. Pray what you got. Yeah. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you pray. I found one of the most important things to keeping it up, to keep going, is having a daily quiet time and and just scheduling it in. Now, as somebody who struggles a little bit with self-discipline from time to time, you know, I I don't go to the gym enough. (laughs) Why are you laughing? (laughs) Okay, that's never. I don't go to the gym. Uh, Sometimes uh, I I have trouble going to bed. I may or may not have binged an entire season of Lost in Space on Netflix over this holiday season. Okay, maybe it was last week, whatever, but I just, sometimes I struggle with self-discipline, and so I'm, I'm hesitant to try to get you in some kind of rigorous routine. I don't like those really, personally, but I don't want to put anything heavy or unsustainable on you as you seek to grow in prayer, but, but here's the thing. There's a great and inescapable truth, and it's taught in Scripture, and it's modeled by Jesus. You cannot grow in prayer without some measure of effort and discomfort. You need to hear that, because for many of us, we don't like that kind of language. Oh, I don't want to be uncomfortable. It's 2019, I shouldn't, or 2020 now, now especially I shouldn't be uncomfortable. This is America. I don't know if anybody told you, but land of the free, home of the brave, I shouldn't be uncomfortable. Yeah, okay, that's fine, you'll just never grow in prayer. There has to be some kind of effort. Some, some discomfort will be required. This will require some self-discipline and self-denial. Why don't you guys come on up and let's, let's close here. Just like you can't get physically fit without regular exercise and a healthy diet, your spiritual life is going to be determined by the spiritual exercises that you choose or don't choose. When Maria and I fell in love we in college, most of you have heard that story. We fell in love in college and... Um, at first, we were embarrassingly, overwhelmingly obsessed with one another. I mean, I couldn't keep her off of me. It was crazy. It was ridiculous. <laughs> okay, I'll tell the truth. I, I was obsessed. It took her a while to warm up, okay? <laughs> that's, not, that, that's the actual truth. I had to work, I had to work at it. Um, I mean, who can blame it? Look at that. Look at this. I'm just saying. So, Sorry, babe. I didn't really plan on you being up here while I was saying this. (laughs) I could talk to her for hours at a time on the phone, on a landline, which means I had about three feet of (laughs) roaming space, right? You're not going anywhere, and I was content to be talking to her for hours. We wanted to be together all the time. Just the mention of her name would make my heart skip a beat. I mean, it's absolutely true. Well, we've been married for 20 years this year. Thank you. It's not necessary. We've been married. I'm just, I'm trying to get you back to prayer and worship. So just be quiet so I can get there. (laughs) If you're new, welcome. Married for 20 years uh, this year. Thank you for that applause. And uh, and, uh, let's just say it's not quite the same as it was which is not it's just it's a little different now and, and actually the truth is if, if the mention of maria's name still made my heart skip a beat every time and it does from time to time but if it was every time i'd have a heart attack like I, <laughs> it'd be bad for me and so without a discipline like some scheduled date nights and sitting down and looking at each other talking about big things together if we don't have discipline like that we could go for weeks without investing in one another And I can imagine some young couples kind of looking at us and going, oh, let's make sure we never end up like them. Let's make sure that we stay spontaneous and wild. Let's make sure that we don't ever get to the point where we're so boring that we have to schedule relationship and romance. But what I would say to that young couple that thought that way is, they're missing out. Because what we have now today is so much deeper than I ever thought it could have been back when I was obsessed. Now, now we have this depth of intimacy and knowledge of one another and relationship with one another and it's more fulfilling than anything I could have ever understood. And it's this discipline, effective communication and date nights and apologizing mostly me to her, sharing sharing feelings, that's the stuff that's kept our love alive and growing. So here's the thing, nobody is designed to live at peak emotional intensity for years on end. It's just it's not sustainable it wouldn't be real, actually. You could say it like this, delight without discipline eventually disappears. Delight without discipline eventually, inevitably, it disappears. It just runs out of steam. So an enduring marriage has to be built on consistent rhythms and routines, and your relationship with God only survives through those kinds of routines. You just got to have them, like Bible study and fellowship and confession and prayer. say it this way a christian who prays only when they feel like it they might survive but they will never thrive and i want you to thrive in 2020 i want this to be your year i want you to thrive with god i want you to go deeper than you thought possible i want you to invest in prayer i want you to keep it simple i want you to keep it real and i most most of all i just want you to keep it up and find new depths of relationship in god thanks for joining us today if God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected you can learn about groups teams and more at onechapel.com welcome you can subscribe to future messages from one chapel on your favorite podcast player and of course you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9 30 and 11 30 see you next time